0: Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, we react to Tim Elliott's comments about getting away with cheating. Is it cheating or is it gamesmanship? We talk about it. Also, I sit down with UFC middleweight Cody Brundage about his UFC career and the work he's doing for his special needs daughter. This is going to be an interesting subject. We had a long call about it, and I'm going to want your opinions when we're done. Join the conversation, 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. I'm not often able to get super philosophical on this show. I talk a lot about MMA, but the philosophy, right? The heart, the will, the ethics of the sport, I don't often get to talk about. This is an exception to that rule. So Tim Elliott, UFC 272 got a win, but uh, despite the unanimous decision victory, there was some controversy because he was constantly grabbing the gloves. Didn't cost him a point. I want to make that abundantly clear, but was constantly grabbing the gloves, took some criticism for that, got the win. And this is the We Got Next podcast that he was on. This is what he had to say about the, uh, glove grabs that had generated so much controversy.
1: Nobody would have said shit about the glove grab. Nobody would have said anything about the cheating. The only reason why people are upset about the glove grab and shit is because they lost his team lost. And, uh, it just makes them look bad uh, that they wouldn't have said anything about anything had they won. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. If you've ever been in a fight and maybe I'm just different, but I'm, I'm trying to win, man. And, uh, it's the referee's job to step in there if I'm doing something wrong. He was telling, he was saying all kinds of shit. He never, I think he told me don't let go of the glove. I let go of the glove. But uh, for me, it's not that big of a deal. I'm I'm in there fist fighting and people are going on and on about the morality of the sport and the warrior spirit and all that bullshit. But I don't fucking care. Like I'm not a, I'm not a martial artist. I'm a fighter and this is my job and I'm trying to, to make money at this job.
0: Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there but before i do uh let's talk about he says i'm a fighter i'm fighting for money and he said this didn't interfere at all with his ability to make money let's hear it
1: you know for me it's not an issue um the bosses don't care dana white doesn't care Maynard, i'm good with all those guys you know they had no problem cutting my checks um cheating or not cheating so uh I sleep fine at night and, um, you know, a lot more comfortable now that we have money in the bank.
0: Okay. So not denying that he cheated, not denying that he grabbed the gloves. So let's start with his first premise that had he uh, lost, no one would be talking about the glove grabbing. In my experience, that's not true. A notoriously dirty fighter, Czech Congo, uh has been told has been every opponent who's ever faced him has told me like dude the guy guys always grabbing your gloves he's always grabbing your shorts he's always doing something on the side the referee can't see etc 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 and i remember um him losing it was it was a losing fight in bellator and it was still brought up by his opponent over and over again now i don't know how much the media picked it up i don't know how often it was out there but in a loss, his opponent was like, dude, the guys would not stop. And I saw it every time too, because I was on the other side of the referee and he was constantly grabbing the shorts or grabbing the gloves. He's a a dirty fighter. And certain guys get that reputation. And he was one of those guys. He was just a dirty fighter, but fighters who beat him brought it up that every two seconds he was trying to get away with something. So the idea that they're only bringing it up because they lost uh, that's not always the case. There, there are plenty of times when someone in victory has said, "Dude, he's trying to constantly, you know, gouging my eyes, or doing this, or doing that." We have heard many times someone bring up cheating, even when they're victorious. Kob, fair or not? Correct, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. This guy was kept hitman doing this. Not so. There are plenty of times when a victorious a victorious fighter brings up the fact that the guy they beat was cheating the whole time. Number one. Number two. Of course, they're going to bring it up more when they lose because cheating affects the outcome of a freaking fight or a game or a match or anything. The Saints got robbed of their Super Bowl appearance by the Rams on a flagrant uh, pass interference call that the referees just missed. Why did people bitch about them so much? It cost them the Super Bowl. And I am a Rams fan. And I thought that was just egregious. And they missed it. And it was a huge controversy because of it. So yeah, it got brought up more when there is a difference between victory and defeat. And that that difference is made up by somebody cheating. Would he have won anyway? I don't know. That, that, that's a lot to say. It wasn't as blatant, for example, as that pass interference call. But the idea that... The, the, in in some ways, I completely disagree with Tim Elliott. In other ways, in other ways, I completely agree with him. And of course, I've never agreed with this, whether it's you know it's it's cheating or gamesmanship. That's basically the the discussion we're having. If you're going to cheat at something, why are you doing it? I don't get if you if, you're, if you don't want to obey the rules of whatever contest you're in, then don't do that. Well, I'm a fighter. Well, then go on the street and jump people. I don't know. If to, plenty of people willing to fight you on the street if that's your thing and you want to do it. So the idea that, oh, this is a fight. Um, so who cares? Oh, okay, then I can chew your nose off. I can, you know, put a beer bottle through your eye because that's, all right, on the street, I will do all those things. I'll do whatever I have to do if I'm fighting for my life. So to equate fighting as a sport, with fighting on the street well then you're saying let's throw all these rules away and you can do whatever you want fine we just won't be able to make a sport out of that so the idea of to me is if you're going to cheat why are you engaging in what you're engaging why are you doing what you're doing if you're not going to obey the rules of what you're doing well i'm just going to fight all right go on the street and fight and don't do this don't get paid for it so there's that so i disagree with him about the the the, the cavalier attitude about cheating i don't have that attitude. The idea that that's the referee's job and not mine, and he dropped the ball and not me, that I agree with. That I completely agree with. And the frustrating thing back when I was commentating was we would see it all the time, a referee going, no, let go of the cage or let go of the gloves and just slapping away the gloves over and over. And I was like, this person has stopped four takedowns, grabbing the fence. And the only repercussion was they got their hands slapped a lot. And that was it. And what you're asking for, the problem with cheating in this regard is you start escalating things. Meaning if I were in someone's position, this never happened to me in my jujitsu or my fight career is if someone is grabbing my gloves and they're not getting any penalties for it, I'm going to ram you right in the balls and go, okay, well, you want to fight dirty? Let's fight dirty then. I'm gonna gouge you in the eyes and go, hey, well, shit. If he isn't calling anything, let's see how far this can go, then, kids. If he's not gonna get dinged for grabbing the fence or grabbing my gloves, then I'm gonna rake his eyes and see if you catch that one. You know, it escalates the cheating, and then we have a totally different kind of contest that nobody wants to see. That's not an actual, you know, sport. And so that's that that one upsmanship of cheating where, okay, fine. Then I'm going to do this. Fine. Then I'm going to do that. And then pretty soon it's a dirty fight. And then you got to start taking a bunch of points and all this stuff. It really goes off the rails quickly. It does. KOB, what do you think of what I said? Well, there are two sides to what he says There's a cavalier attitude about cheating period that, Oh, well, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, which I don't know, go try something else, I guess. And then there's the other side of it. It's the referee's job to enforce the rules, not mine. And he didn't take any points away. That's not on me. That I understand and agree with.
2: On the latter part, I totally agree with you. Yeah, the referees, I, I have said for a long time do a piss poor job of really keeping control. like I, I, I don't I don't understand what the big like I understand that some things are ambiguous. like maybe you know two guys are one guy's throwing a knee while th- someone throws a kick and you end up with a low blow. like it, it's just an right. accidental foul because of just the positioning. I get some sure. of that and being a little bit looser. But like eye pokes, I think, are avoidable if you tell someone early on, go into the back and warn them, look, keep your fingers in. I'm gonna give yes. you one quick warning if I see him out. But if you t- if you poke this guy in the eye because your fingers are out, I'm docking you a point. I think they're gonna keep their fingers closed. Like I, I tend to think that that's gonna take care of it. If hopefully, they know in the back of their mind, yeah. yeah, hopefully. And if not, who cares? Just keep hitting them with it. And that's the way it goes. If that's what costs them a fight, then that's what cost them a fight. And if you want, I know referees don't really say a lot, but like you could say, like, look, I give these guys a hard warning in the back when I, when I go talk to them. If I see your fingers out, I'm gonna dock you. His fingers were out, I docked him. I'm doing what I said, like that's the way it's gonna go. Referees could take more charge. I think there's a fear of, like, I think there's a fear in MMA, like, they're going to affect the outcome, because these things are always so close, and, like, you don't want to be, I guess you don't want to be the one who docks a point, yeah, you don't want to be the one who docks a point, and it it totally screws up over a winning fighter, but you got to do it, like, you got to get the guys in line. In terms of his other thing about, kind of, like, yeah, I was grabbing the gloves, like, absolutely, like, I'm okay with certain things, like, depending on severity, like, if he was in there, like, uh, I can't remember who it was, was it, was it? Li Lang, who who was digging digging into a cut, and opening like blatantly, I, there was someone yeah, who was Lee doing. Jing I don't Lang, if, I think it was. Yeah. I I I don't know if it was done to him or if he was doing to someone else, but I remember someone was like like very blatantly like putting their fingers in a cut and and trying to open it up. That to me is a different level of cheating than like I'm grabbing gloves, I'm grabbing shorts just to do what I got to do until I get warned, and then yeah, I get warned, I let go. Like to me, that's bending the rules but not breaking them. Like yeah, you're not supposed to, but if it's a difference between you or, or getting a bad position. And you know the referees not going to do anything about it, short of like, oh yeah, I let go the gloves. All right, I I'll let go the gloves. I'm doing what you say, referee. <laughs> like it's, it's a different variation. That's why I say it's like it's like bending. It's testing the rules' durability more so than actually breaking them. It's a weird thing, but like I think if that's, like, like you said, like, if the referees are going to do nothing, why, why why wouldn't I fence grab to try to keep keep that takedown off of me? Why wouldn't I grab the gloves to try to get a better positioning? I that I just feel like falls into a different category of cheating. I think that does fall into gamesmanship of like look, I just, I did it to do it. And then I let go when the referee told me, so I didn't break the rules. Like it's one of, it's one of those. It's like it's ambiguous. <sighs> yeah. To I
0: mean, considering as far as breaking the rules goes, um, glove grabbing obviously isn't like eye gouging or hitting somebody in the groin or any of these. It's not one of those where I'm going to do, you could permanently hurt somebody doing that and you got to lose a point. you got to lose one quick. I remember with um, Jake Shields and who's someone in, in PFL and this was Mario Yamasa. Uh, no, it was um, uh, the other terrible referee. It was um, Zagatti. Uh, yeah, Steve Mazagatti, and he was just blowing it horribly. I mean, I mean, uh, was literally gouging his eyes, and and Jigsaw turned him like, dude, he just gouged my eyes again. Like, what the? Heck? It, it was like he was blind, just couldn't see it at all. Horrible fight, and then he gets Kimura. Sweet Kimura, by the way. Taps out Jake Shields and then won't let go of the Kimura. It was just everything bad. And Jake Shields hit him after the bell. Cause like F you, he held on to the Kimura too long. It was just terrible. But there are thin lines that keep our sport from degenerating into, you know, just a brawl uh, before or after the event, right? This is it's a very thin line and referees doing their jobs or not doing their jobs often defends or doesn't defend that line. And I agree that it should be, Hey, don't grab the gloves. Hey, don't. All right. Do it again. I'm taking a point. And then, cause then that's the only time fighters seem to listen is when you go do it again, you're losing a point. And then they do it again. You you ding them a point. And then it's like, Oh crap. The, the fight can slip out of reach very, very quickly. I agree with you. I think a lot of referees are um, sensitive about that. I think they're too sensitive about that. I am not cavalier about cheating at all. Um, I think it's all bad, but the idea that, that that's the referee's job, not mine. And they don't do it that effectively for certain fouls, one of which being cage grabbing. When Tito Ortiz, Rashad Evans, the first one, is the, the only, one of the only times I remember Tito Ortiz lost a point for grabbing the fence. And that is one of the few times I ever remember seeing somebody dock a point for grabbing the fence. You know what I'm saying, KOB? And it happens all the time, right? And it's so vital. Like well, imagine that takedown just not happening. That could totally swing a fight, and it happens.
2: I remember there was a fight years back. I think it was on the regional scene, though. It wasn't even like a real, like, you know, Bellator, PFL, UFC, like the big promotions. It was some regional scene where a referee actually docked a fighter because he wouldn't close his hands. I think he had warned him in the back. He had warned him once in the fight. And there wasn't even an eye poke. He just docked him for not closing. Like, I warned you. I warned you. Close your hands. And docked him a point. And people got pissed at the ref for doing that. It's like... Well, what do you want him to do? Like that was when, right when those rules came out about like you can dock a point or, you, you know, there's a more emphasis on making sure the fighters have closed hands. this yeah. guy did it and then took took a punch of heat online for it. It was like, no, he's doing his job. And that's what MMA fans sometimes need to get over is that. I don't know if it's just because I come from a wrestling background, like you do, where referees are very much involved and very and yes. are very much, very much a part of keeping control of what's going on, and they're quick to hit you for stalling. They're quick to do this. They're quick to have some some form of a, uh, effect on the match to keep the action moving, and it feels like MMA fans are just want that completely out of MMA. Like they just don't. They want the referees to just get there. Break when they're supposed to and try not to make a bad call, like on a stoppage. Like, that's like, all we can do. Stay care out about. of the way, right? Yeah. yeah, stay out of the way. Like these guys do whatever. Let them sit in, in positions where it's basically a stalling position where you know, like, one guy's got to take down, but he's doing nothing with it. He's just laying on top. They want us to just leave it alone for the art of grappling or even against the fence. Like, I love when people break people off the fence when they're just kind of sitting there and they're just holding position. Yeah, break that up. It's nothing. Like, put them back in the center. I don't care about Get it positioning. Along. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 the idea of pushing action and giving these guys a chance to actually do something. And MMA fans just seem like they don't want it. Like they just don't want that the referees to be had that that type of involvement in in a, in a fight. Yeah, his idea that they're only bitching because I
0: won and they lost. No, I've heard plenty of fighters bitch about someone cheating when they won. It, it happens plenty of times, million times. I've heard that. And the idea of I'm going out to, to win money, therefore I can do whatever I want, any athlete at any stage of professional sports can say that. Well, the Super Bowl is on the line. Of course I'm going to commit pass interference or this or that. They're all competing for money. The difference here, and as Marco from Waco pointed out, that a lot of penalties aren't called because they're not near the action. Meaning if someone's holding and it's on the other side of the field, rarely is that going to be called because it doesn't have an impact on what's going on. The same cannot be said for combat sports. It is two people and that's it. And every little thing is an advantage or a disadvantage. And the margins of error when it comes to the UFC at the elite level are small. They are razor thin. So somebody grabbing gloves or grabbing the fence or some little thing to avoid a takedown, et cetera, et cetera, really affects the outcome. And so the idea that the, that there's minor cheating and more major cheating, yeah, there is. And then I'm not going to put a, a fence grab in the same category as an eye poke. I'm not going to do that, but they can both influence the way the fight plays out. And they can change who wins and who loses. When it's hey, you got a win bonus there that might make the difference between whether or not you can stay in the sport. That's big. That's big. There are like like the 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 fouls themselves, while minor, the outcome isn't minor. The outcome is not minor at all. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind. This isn't a holding call that ended up not doing anything. It can be important. Here's what I've noticed. And this is really true. And this is across the board with a lot of sports. The 7.79 doc, I think it was, no, 9.79. There's a documentary on, um, of course, um, Ben Johnson and his steroid scandal in 1988 the Soul Games. And they interviewed this doctor at UCLA who was catching all of these drug cheats. That, it, it was the first kind of like testing program and all this stuff. And they, they started looking at everything. And he said, naively, I thought, why would an athlete want to do drugs? Well, when we tested them and caught them and asked them and interviewed them, they said, I want to win. And if I have to take drugs to win, that's what I'm going to do. You and I and a lot of people wouldn't do that because we aren't of that mentality. I don't know what it's like to have my whole life centered around a particular sport and my value, both financially and personally and morally and all these things, revolving around whether or not I lose it that thing. I was a professional fighter for a while. That was a long time ago. So the idea that my whole worth and everything about me revolves around whether or not I, you know, whether I can eat, you know, is determined by whether or not I win a fight. I had a job while I was fighting. So I was never totally dependent on fighting. I never made enough fighting that it was worth anything anyway. But the idea that your whole life depends on this one thing is a place it's hard to put yourself if you aren't in it. If you aren't part of that um, fraternity of professional athletes, the drive, the necessity, and and that that overrides your morality is hard to do. It's hard hard to put yourself there. And, but it's that kind of focus and that single-mindedness that makes professional athletes great at what they're great at. Is the, you know, is the, I'll do anything to win. And if you watched like a documentary like The Armstrong Live, for example, about Lance Armstrong, he didn't lose a whole lot of sleep about injecting EPO. Didn't bother him at all. If it's going to help me win, I'm going to take it. He thought everybody else was taking it. So, damn it, I'm going to jump on that board too. Didn't bother him at all. That little switch, that morality switch in our brains that governs our behavior about certain things, you got to numb that a bit if you're going to be successful and driven at one thing. So, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. I don't have that. And I don't suggest it for anybody either. very special guest joining us in a minute cody brundridge ufc fighter and not just a ufc fighter uh a parent a new parent dealing with things that are extremely difficult i'll have you tell him i'll have him tell you all about it when he comes on uh cody how you doing buddy can you hear me
3: what's up brother yeah man thanks for having
0: me hey Hey. it's great to have you here man ufc middleweight uh cody First off, tell us about the win, uh, UFC Vegas 50 on Saturday. You got the performance of the night bonus. What does that mean to you, man? Yeah, it means
3: a lot. You know, I feel like it's really hard to win in the UFC, and, and this sport is really, really tough. And I've always kind of fell short. You know, I fell short on contender series. I fell short in my debut. And you start to kind of get this monkey on your back that maybe I'm just not the guy that can that can make it happen. Maybe I'm not the guy that wins the big one. So, to get through some adversity and, some, and persevere and, and get a win in the UFC. I feel like the hardest one is the first one. So now that I got that one, I'm just ready to keep it
0: going. Now, there was a lot you were dealing with outside of the fight itself. You're a new parent, but um, a child with special needs, that's been a big challenge. First, tell us how that all came about. You found out the diagnosis um, the, the week of your UFC debut, yeah?
3: Yeah, so Thursday, uh, I got called up on Wednesday – and me and my wife actually were thinking, we're like, man, do I go? Because we got this big meeting with our neurologist, right? We got this big appointment with our neurologist to talk about Kingsley and what might be going on with her. And uh, I was like, do I go? Do I go? My wife's like, you have to go. I'll go to the to the doc, to the the appointment. I'll FaceTime you. It'll be okay. So, uh, yeah, I go out Thursday. I'm cutting my weight. Uh, I do my FaceTime with the neurologist. And basically they tell us, you know, like she's got this super, super rare uh, – gene mutation called ALG 13. And it uh, basically is like, there's only been 40 cases ever. uh, So there's not a ton of information, you know, like all the information that my doctors have here, which they're great. You know, the children's hospital here in Colorado is amazing, but all the information they have is information that I have access to. They've never had a patient with this. uh, So we're all kind of working through it together and basically just told us, you know, she, that she's going to need you her whole life. And uh, you know, moving forward, uh, just that your future and her future is going to be intertwined forever. And, you know, it's tough to hear. And, uh, especially because it's not like we had any inclination that this was going to be something that happened. You know, we, we, I'm healthy. My wife is a former UFC fighter. She's super healthy. We don't have any history of anything like this in our family. Uh, so it was tough, you know, it was super tough and, uh, already going through motions, you know, with the weight cut and stuff. And then also you start to feel guilty, right? Cause I achieved this goal of making it to UFC, which was my biggest goal. And I was like, I'm so happy I made it. And then you get this terrible news about your daughter and you're like, how do I balance being really happy about this one thing in my life, but also devastated about this other thing. So uh, yeah, it was a tough week for
0: sure. Uh, how did it affect things in the fight? I mean, you know, fighters always say everything's fine and it's great. No, no, no. I'm hundred percent focused. Everything's great. Best camp of my life. but all this, all this <laughs> stuff together, but carrying those emotions into a fight when you need to be hyper-focused, you got to be clear. You can't be worried about anything else. And you clearly were How did that affect you, man, in preparation and in the fight itself?
3: Uh, I remember before I walked out, you know, I was like, man, I kind of hope this fight goes 15 minutes because that'll be 15 minutes. I don't have to think about what's next or or real life or any of those things. And, you know, it was a quick thought. I don't think it like it's the reason I lost. You know, there's a lot of reasons I lost. I didn't fight to my capabilities. But, you know, that's not a good thought to have before you walk out. You know, my thoughts before this last one, like I want to get out of here as fast as possible. You know, I want to beat this guy as quick as possible and get out of here. Uh, so it was weird. Like I said, it was just super, a super weird feeling to be like, I made it. I'm in the UFC. I'm so pumped. I achieved this dream. Also what the hell is my life going to look like moving forward, you know? And, And that was tough to deal with.
0: Uh, speaking to Cody Brundridge, of course, UFC middleweight, um, coming off a win, but when we, when we look at this whole situation, the UFC has been supportive. You had an armband made to bring awareness to the issue and all these things does it feel like in your career you can maybe help some other people or do something about this and make you feel more empowered about the problem because you have this platform you have?
3: Yeah, for sure. You know, I was telling someone, uh, TNT did like a special on Ernie Johnson. I don't know if you know that is a basketball guy, yeah. uh, his son who had uh, disabilities and just kind of how he dealt with that. And I remember seeing that and it really kind of just touched me, you know, he, his son obviously wasn't going through the same thing that, my daughter is but when you see someone who's successful and still happy and still able to live their life when they're dealing with similar things I think it it goes a long way to be like okay I can do that I can my world's not crumbling my world's not completely over it's just going to be different right and so if I can be that for anyone you know obviously that's way bigger than fighting that means way more to me than than fighting um so yeah I feel like it's awesome you know the UFC is not always they're kind of iffy about stuff that they'll let you promote on their platform so the fact that they let me promote and and talk about what was going on with with her really meant a lot to me
0: how has it been um of course you received the news september um 2021 you know obviously we're we're in 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 march of 2022 how has the development been since then how has the progress been has it been everything you expected um in those intervening months man since finding out to now
3: Uh, So my wife's a rock star. You know, she works with uh, my daughter all the time. She actually went and got her CNA license so that she could be working full time with Kingsley. And, uh, you know, she has therapists that she meets with every week that are awesome. And so like, she's still behind, you know, she just turned one. She's not walking. Uh, Her outlook on uh, speech isn't very great at this point. Um, She's not even crawling at this point, but she's way ahead of a lot of other kids that have this, you know, we're in a Facebook group with other parents that Mm -hmm. whose kids have the same thing. And like, she's sitting up on her own and they're like, wow, my daughter, and my son didn't do that. So they were three. So, you know, we're hopeful. We're like, okay, uh, we're ahead of the curve. You know, I'm a fighter. Like I said, my wife's a fighter and and my daughter's going to be a fighter. You know, I know that. And uh, we try to stay hopeful. And one thing that I do feel good about, you know, it, it, it's all about perspective, right? Like yeah. obviously any other parent might not feel great about this, but I'm like, at least my daughter wasn't 20 years old. And then something happened. And now this life that she knew she'll never have again. And, and she, She's to me, that would seem like the most frustrating thing, right? Like, she's got all these things taken away from her that maybe she knew, but like, this is all she's ever going to know. So, whatever it becomes, whatever we turn it into, this is all she'll ever know. And, and that kind of gives me, makes me feel a little bit better. And, you know, uh, like I said, we're hopeful. We're working really, really hard. We're actually at the hospital right now. You know, I came straight off the plane from Vegas to the hospital. My daughter is going through some tests to uh, get her ketogenic diet going, which has been shown to uh, hold like a, Prolong uh, seizures from happening, which is one of the major reasons that the, the children that have this uh, genetic thing uh, have delays. Uh, so we're hopeful for that. You know, we're hopefully, we're going to get out of here today and uh, start her on this diet. And we're hopeful that that helps increase the speed at which she's developing, but we're just going to work at it, man. We're going to grind nose of the grindstone and just work, work, work.
0: Uh, speaking of Cody Brundridge, of course, UFC middleweight, discussing his child with special needs and how that's affecting his fight career. Um, so is it, you know, to to, to to a carpenter, every problem looks like a nail, right? Like, it, being in the fight world, does everything translate to a fight? Is that the metaphors in which you see everything in, in, in this situation itself, man?
3: Yeah, man, I think there's a lot of uh, parallels. I think um, there's a lot of adversity in fighting. There's a lot of adversity in life. I said, uh, like, at Factory X, we always pick a word, right? A word for the year that is going to define our year. And my word for 2022 was fire because I felt like, fighting is a fire. Life is a fire. And you got to be willing to get burnt to kind of have success. And you got to be willing to to risk it to, to have success and and face adversity and persevere. And all that relates to life, all that relates to fighting. And especially, you know, working with Kingsley and, and trying to make sure that her life is the best it can be. I feel like it's going to be a lot of perseverance because there are a lot of dark days. There's a lot of hard times. Uh, and in the way that relates to fighting is, you know, a lot of people quit in fighting a lot of people give up. And, you know, I've, I've been on the, brink of losing many, many times and had to persevere. And uh, like I said, I think that translates beautifully to the way uh, our life is going to go.
0: Speaking of your career itself and getting that, that first UFC win under your belt, man, what kind of a relief was that not just with anything going on in your life, but just career wise, getting that first UFC win and realizing, as you said, your potential for the first time, how did that feel?
3: It feels great, man. It feels like there's a monkey off my back. It feels like, okay, I belong. I can do this. I can find a way to win when maybe it's not the easiest. Uh, but also, you know, losing two in a row is never good, right? Like, yeah. you don't ever want to lose in general, but I don't want to lose two in a row because especially right now, the, the there's tons of talented fighters coming up and you don't ever want to be coming off a loss and be on a losing streak because who knows if that's your last opportunity. So it feels really good. Uh, getting the bonus is just extra. And I feel like when you lose, uh, you're on the, a different side, right? So, like, if say this is what your projection is. You lose. Now you're on the B side or whatever you want to call it. You have to beat someone maybe you're not supposed to beat to get back on that A side. And so now I'm on the right side of winning, and I'm hoping I can just keep that going.
0: Is that – you know, of course, you're working with Factory X. Mark Montoya, great MMA mind. Love that guy. I talk to him all the time about cards and stuff like that. Um, is that something you guys – talk about or worry about in the gym or he does does he try to keep you insulated from that like all right you just train don't worry about a side b side winning losing the the the, the track of your career don't worry about it and just train or do you guys discuss it
3: uh i mean we talk about it but for the most part coach is like hey don't focus on result don't focus on result because result will break your heart just give max effort and then you can be okay with whatever ends up happening so I've really tried to uh, listen to those words and, and, and uh, take that approach because it's so true. You know, like I can worry about winning and losing a ton. Right. I can, that could be my main focus. And then everything I do is going to be based off wins and losses when that's not necessarily the only thing that's important. Right. Like, even if I had a, if I had a lost that fight, right. Say I, I lose the fight, there's things to be taken from it that are positive. Right. You battled through adversity. You didn't give up, you didn't quit on yourself, but if all you're focusing on is wins and losses, You're like, oh, I lost, I suck, right? You don't want to have that. And same thing, like, I won, but to me, I'm like, was that my best performance? No. Can I be much better? Yes. But the fact that I was able to win on not my best performance is is another good thing to take from it, you know? So that's just focusing on max effort, doing my best, being coachable. Uh, And those all things lead to positive results without being result-oriented.
0: Speaking of Cody Brundridge, of course, UFC middleweight. I got to ask you something we were debating earlier on in this show. I don't know if you know about it, but Tim Elliott uh, was criticized for a lot of, of glove grabbing during his fight. Same card as yours. And, uh, he said, Hey man, I'll do whatever I have to do to win. It's the referee's job to enforce the rules. It's not my job to enforce the rules. It's on the referee. I don't care if I cheated. This is a business and I'm trying to make money. Uh, I don't care. That's on the ref. Not me. I'll do whatever I have to do as a professional athlete. Where do you land in the, in that debate? Uh, I mean, I'm not
3: doing it, but I'd be crazy if I said it's not happening in every, every fight card probably every fight it happens and a lot of times it's not even on purpose you know people forget like yeah it's a sport but at the end of the day you're fighting right you're trying to to survive this person is trying to knock you out in front of your mom your daughter your wife they don't have any care for your well-being so if at some point maybe you grab a glove or or whatever in defense of yourself or whatever you know that to me it's like that's part of the game it's going to happen obviously i don't think you should intentionally do those things But at a certain point, your body's just going to take over, and it's a survival instinct of, okay, well, how can I get through this position, or how can I survive here, if that makes sense?
0: That makes perfect sense to me, man. I understand completely. Um, (laughs) Your thoughts, being a middleweight, um, of course, Colby Covington talking about coming up to take on Israel Adesanya. The problem is Israel Adesanya is just kind of mowing down the competition right now, and that next generation of of 85ers, which you're a part of, need to come up and kind of fill that gap. is an exciting time to be – a middleweight with a champion that's kind of leveling a lot of the competition. He's kind of lapping the field.
3: Yeah, for sure. You know, I saw Colby say he was going to come up. Uh, Yeah, I think Colby's a great fighter. I just think he's very small for the weight. You know, I I don't think he cuts a lot of weight to make 70 and I don't, I don't think Izzy's huge, but he has a big frame. He knows how to use his frame. Uh, I think it'd be a tough matchup for him, but I also think guys like, you're not even talking about Izzy, like Robert Whitaker is a super tough matchup at 85 for Colby, just because he's not that ultra big dude. Who's cutting all this weight. I'd be more interested, honestly, to see. Colby go down to 55 and fight Charles Oliveira. You know, there's a lot of fights for him there. I think Justin Gaethje. You know, he's got beef with everyone, but I think there's a lot of 55ers he matches up well with that. I that I would be it would be an entertaining fight for sure.
0: Uh, Dustin Poirier, case, uh, of course, a 55er who you know people talk about going up to 170 and take on Colby. I think that's stylistically a terrible matchup. I think it looks a lot like the Mosvidal fight. Is that your thought as well?
3: Yeah, and I, I think Colby is that problem for a lot of people. Like, yeah. People hate him. They want to kick his ass, but there's a reason that they can't. He's super talented. He's super technical. Like Everybody can say what they want about Colby just wanted to wrestle masculine. He was just wrestling him. I felt like he was getting the better of him on the feet, except for the one exchange where he got dropped. I thought he was outlanding him yeah. on the feet, doing more damage. I mean, you see what the guy did to Robbie Lawler. The guy is no joke on the feet. Every, he has very few holes in his game, an incredible cardio. Uh, I think he's a super talented fighter. I think people, you know, let their emotions get involved too much when, when analyzing him. I think he's one of the top dogs. If there's no Kamaru Usman, Colby's running the 170 division, no problem.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Speaking of Cody Brundridge, of course, UFC middleweight, what's the difference for listeners who don't know, who have never been in a gym? Uh, you're with Factory X. You train with standout 170-pounders all the time. The physical difference between a real middleweight, which you are, and a big 170, there's a big difference, is it not, in sparring and training and grappling and everything. What's that difference like, man, with somebody who can make 70 and someone who can't? Uh, it's,
3: a, it's a big difference, you know. And, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a full-size uh, middleweight, but I feel like I could make welterweight if I needed to. So I'm not even a huge middleweight, but uh, it's just a big difference, just like a 205 or a 185. Yeah. You know, I'm training with Dustin Jacoby and Anthony Smith, and those guys are way bigger than me. And they're longer. Their frame is bigger. They can do things that I can't do just because of their size. I think the frame issue is something people don't understand. They're like, oh, well, he's big, he's he's jacked, he's this, he's that. But the frame is the bigger issue, if you know what I mean. Like the guy I fought this weekend, he was huge, right? 580 cut or 5'8 cut up, but he was 5'8. You know, he doesn't have the frame that a lot of 85ers have, and that's tough to deal with sometimes if you're if you're not, if you're not as long, if you're not as big is it physically it's hard to explain what i'm saying but if your frame isn't as big it's harder to deal with
0: right it's not what's on the frame it's the frame itself right it's not it's 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 not what's on the frame it's the yeah, actual exactly. physical bill right and, and it's it's totally different so i gotta ask before i let you go man do you know what's next for you when you want when do you plan to get in the octagon again
3: i don't know who's next i'm hoping june or july i got a couple of teammates fighting around that time it's always good to be in camp with your teammates i think just grinding pushing together so i'm hoping june or july Uh, I took six months in between Maximov and this last fight. I feel like I didn't really even get to show too much of what I've been working on. Obviously, I got buzzed early, so it was kind of surviving there for a minute. So I feel like I just got a lot to build on and uh, keep getting better. But, yeah, June, July would be perfect.
0: Hey, man, well, best of luck to you. I hope everything works out with this hospital visit. I hope all the tests are good, man. And I can't wait to see you fight again, man. Appreciate your time, bud.
3: Thanks, brother. Appreciate you having me
0: unlocking the cage with jimmy smith is part of the sirius xm podcast network the executive producer is michael russo the associate producer is kelly murphy sound design by nuri Balin. special thanks to sirius xm's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting steve cohen and sirius xm fight nation program director marissa rebus
1: Series XM Podcasts.